Now, as we prepare ourselves to to come to the study, we need to be honest to think that we, most of us, if we're honest, like things to be about us. We like to be number one. We like to be uh, everything to be about us, even within the church a lot of times. Um, And I had to admit, as I was doing this study this past week, that, uh, and I'm going online to say this, that there was some things that my wife is right about and I'm wrong. Um, I was raised in a family that truly believed, or a lot of times we would get uh, things from extended family for uh, announcements, graduation announcements, uh, marriage things. And in my cynical view, I felt like, well, we never hear from them any other time except for uh, when they want gifts. And so a lot of times that's how I view things. They just want a gift. But my wife is someone who remembers a lot of times and she will come to me and say, well, don't you know that this thing was given to us by this person for this reason on this date? And I would go, nope, I don't care. If it's broken, throw it away. I don't care who gave it to me. If it was great, great auntie, whatever. Just get rid of it. But her struggle is, but this is about the giver, not the gift. And see, for me, I have to to make sure that I get that correct because it's not just the gift of forgiveness. It's not just the gift of the gospel. We come and we give praise to God because he is the giver of the gift. And it's to him that we give praise. It's why we say things, if you've come to a Passover Seder, it always kind of confused me as we give this prayer. It says, praised are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. Then it goes to the gift who has created the fruit of the vine. And it's very telling to me because I think a lot of times when I go and I ask my kids or or we pray before meals, we're asking God, we're thanking him for the meal. But the reality of all situations should be we should be giving praise and honor and glory to the giver of the gift more than the gift itself. And so that's where we find ourselves in the midst of this one sentence in the Greek. It's a prayer. It's a prayer of praise. And you can see that God is at the center of everything. So hear this as we say it this morning from Ephesians chapter 1 looking again at verses 11 through 14, and we'll read it and then focus on verses 11 through 14 this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love he predestined us for our adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which we have been blessed, us and the beloved. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ. And it's as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
And in him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, this is your word. Your word that you communicated to generations years ago, but yet continue to preach to us that because of your goodness, because of who you are, you have given to us the greatest gift found in Jesus Christ. But Father, may we not just praise you only for the gift of your salvation, but Father, may we praise you because you are the loving, eternal, giving God. And to you and to you alone, may we give our honor and our praise this morning, now and forever. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So again, we're two-thirds through this one sentence in the Greek, and so we find ourselves at our verses 11 through 14. And so we're going to continue to unpack because we heard that it talks about God the Father, God the Son, and now we look specifically at the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we're going to look at is there's a praise for God's plan. And we start by looking at God's character. Again, if you looked earlier in the sentence, it talked about God loving us before the foundation of the world. It's his love, and it's his love that brings comfort and peace. And as it brings comfort and peace, it reminds us that we are adopted into his family. And adoption is given, not earned. And so as we find ourselves looking at God's heart, it's part of not only his heart, but also his attributes. It's part of his being. Now, when we talk about attributes, we talk about two things. We talk about the communicable attributes and the incommunicable attributes of God. What's the difference? The communicable traits of God are things that God shares with us. We, like God, can be loving. We can be merciful. We can be about justice. These are things that we share with God that he gives to us. But there's also incommunicable attributes of God, things that are God's alone. And this is where we get our omnis, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. These are things that only God can be. But there's also something that God is that we're not. He's immutable. He is unchangeable. And that's a good thing. He's unchangeable in his mind. He's unchangeable in his will. And he's unchangeable in his nature. Now, why do I say this is a God thing? And why does the Apostle Paul bring it up to us in this passage? Well, if you know anything about the time, and it doesn't have to be just back then, but the Ephesians were dealing with gods who were fickle. And so what they did is if the God would change his mind all the time, you were never, ever in a place of satisfaction. Richard Pratt, one of my professors at RTS, um, who leads the third millennium uh, ministry, talks about it this way. When he goes into foreign countries, he finds himself in Muslim countries and different countries, and he starts to look at these people and they react um, in such a way because they're fearful of their God. 
And so he, he went there right after the tsunami hit and he saw all these people kind of bowing down and giving money to their uh, temples and to their gods and stuff like that. And he was talking to them and he said, why are you doing this? And he said, because we don't want them to be angry again with us. And so it becomes this overwhelming thing of we, we, if we have a fickle God, if we have a God that changes, we never know where we stand. And so we have to keep giving. We have to keep doing. We have to, we never know. It's like a, a daisy. God loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And that's a horrible place to be when you think that the God of the scripture doesn't love you because you haven't earned it. You can never earn it. That's the point is this should be something that brings comfort and peace that God, because of who he is and because he's unchangeable, his promises are true. And therefore his plan follows, so, and, and, uh, follows the plan that's set out in its course. And so we come to that God's plan that all things, all things have a perfect time and a place. And again, that should bring us comfort. It should bring us peace. We of all people should be trusting in the things of God in both big things and small things. You know, all we have to do, and, and we have this great opportunity. We live in a place where you get to go to the beach. And I ask you, go and look out, look out across the ocean and see how the greatness of the ocean, the power of the waves shout God's grace, shouts his, his greatness to us. But at the same time, you can find while on that beach, the smallest shell. And look at the smallest shell and you can see that it's a whisper to the glory of God. So whether in little things or big things, nothing is outside of God's control. Nothing. And so it doesn't matter what political party is in power. It doesn't matter what judge is on the throne. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about anything because God is the one who has the perfect plan. And as such, it brings us that understanding that we can trust it. And not only we can trust it because he's in control, but he's always been faithful. Listen, there's a statement here. If you look at it in in the scripture in verse 11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. So the we in verse 11, but then when you look at verse 13, in him, you also. See, there's a a changing in the pronouns. Why? Because he's talking about God's faithfulness in the past. When he uses the word we, he's talking about the Jewish people. He's talking about the Jewish nation that was chosen by God to be the nation. And so he's looking at those people and he says, if you are a Jewish Christian, then you have seen God's faithfulness. He is the Messiah that was always promised about. He has come. And as God has been faithful to the people in the past, he will continue to be faithful to all of us. But then he changes the pronoun to you. And what he does, he starts to minister now to Gentile Christians. Not just faithfulness to God's people in the past, but he's faithful to the present calling of the Gentiles. Trust, God will continue to be faithful. Including all trials and difficulties. Because it's God who brings about his blessing. Now, God in these blessings does it specifically, and according to these passages, for God's church. We have praise for God's church. Now, he does this because he extends mercy. 
Not only is it to the Jews, but it's now Jews and Gentiles. Again, the we to you. So he takes, listen, people who are at odds, people who are on the one end of the spectrum, rivals, and he creates them to be one body of believers united in Christ. And so it's the representation to us. It doesn't matter um, what's going on or who you are dealing with. God, by his mercy, can allow them to be a part of your family. And as such, we are called then to be inclusive, not exclusive. And so there's things like, um, whether it's with the word, uh, with the world, where you start saying things like, um, those people. That, that's a scary place to be when you start making those adjustments. Well, those people are wrong. Those people don't deserve to be in the church. Those people don't have the right doctrine. Those people don't have this. Those people. It's an understanding that God calls us together as a family. And not only just a family, but he starts to call us one specific body. And he says, how can the hand say to the foot, you're not a part of the body? See, we're all coming together to be included in Christ. Now, there's also the sense that some people here today are at odds with yourself. And there might be people here thinking, I can't do this. God can't forgive what I've done. I can't be used by God. He can use those people. He can use people who are leading ministries. He can use leaders. He can use uh, people who are gifted, but he can't use me. That's a lie. God uses everyone to his glory. And so he includes all of us into his call. And he says, don't be at odds with the world. Don't be at odds with um, other people. And don't be at odds in yourself. Christ has come for all nations. All people. And you know what messes it up? I do. You do. Sin. When we allow sin to reign in our lives, when we allow sin to become unrepentant, when we allow sin to run rapid, that's when things go wrong. And so he tells us to find ourselves and fall at God's mercy. See, it's God's mercy, not our merit. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how bad you are. You can't do any more good works to earn God's love, and you can't do anything worse to take away God's love. All of us in repentance find ourselves running back to Christ for mercy. So our confidence is not in our accomplishments, but it's in God's character. And as such, that means that there is no second-class Christians. None. Just because I'm in the pastor doesn't mean that I'm going to get a bigger mansion in heaven. I actually probably think probably those who found themselves martyred in other places will find themselves closer to Jesus than I ever thought or imagined. See, we're supposed to think of others more highly than ourselves, And I do want to tell you that there are some changes coming up. We're, we're going to change our shepherding groups in this way. 
We're going to give you an opportunity to decide if there's an elder that you have a significant relationship with that you want to be a part of their group. You'll get to choose that. However, if you don't care, which is probably the majority of you, we're just going to stick with our alphabet. And so if you want to be moved around from group to group every once in a while, you want to get to meet new elders, be a part of their things, you're going to have that opportunity too. But there's also been a charge to us as elders that we are better at making connections with you. Whether it's through emails and millennials, read your stinking emails. Don't come back and tell me you've got a thousand emails you haven't read. There are things that are sent out that are important in emails. It doesn't always have to be a text. Get over it. And you who are old people, learn to use your phone. Learn that you can text. You can send little gifts. You can be taught, I'm proof. But we need to be in it together. So don't just think that they need to be doing things for you. How are you a part of being the body of Christ to one another? Because there is no second class Christians. And so therefore, when we go to God's mercy, when we begin to understand it, then it begins to transform us. And he transforms us according to the word by two very specific things. The first is the word and then the spirit. In regards to the word, remember the word is truth. This is one of the hills that we die on. This is not found just principles of God's word. This is God's word. And it's a big deal for us to know it. It's, a, it's one of the reasons why I ask you to read through the word every year. Well, pastor, that's hard. I know. Find someone to hold you accountable. If you haven't been reading through this year, pick up. And don't feel guilty that you have to go back to January 1. Pick up on today's reading. Go deep in your understanding. Allow the word to transform you. Not just reading things about the word, but allowing God's word itself. Because the Holy Spirit, listen, never speaks apart from the word of God. That's all the time that he's always taking us back. And that's why those who are older and are gray-haired can go back and go, it doesn't matter how many times I read through the Bible, that wasn't there before. Because the Spirit, through the truth of the Word, is constantly changing us. And God is constantly getting bigger in our understanding. Does He change? No. But we do. And we grow in our wisdom and our knowledge and our love and our mercy and grace. Why? Because we have to? No, because we begin to understand how much God loves us. How much mercy He's given to us. How much He's shown to us. And so we get to show to others. And so we have the word and we hear it, and we take the truth, and then we apply it and obey it. Now, how do we do that? By the Spirit. Listen to what John 3 8 says in regards to the Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, 
as a youth pastor, um, there are times where we go to conferences and uh, we had this couple, uh, Paul and Nicole Johnston, they used to do these skits for a couple of our uh, conferences that we used to go to. And they had a skit on this specific verse. And the skit was, is that they owned a sailboat, but they never, ever put up the sail. They had their life preservers on and they had paddles. And so they would go out into the safety of the, um, the surrounding area and they would paddle the sailboat around. And they would paddle it in circles. And one of them finally gets in the, upset and he says, I want to put up the sail. Look at how the other people are sailing and they're having fun and the wind's in their hair. That's what I want. I want to have the wind. And the other person says, it's not safe. Because we're not in control. Here, if I have the paddle, I always have an opportunity to see the shore. And if I can see the shore, I can always paddle back. The other one finally gets, he's like, I've had it. And he puts up the sail. And he says, now let us enjoy where it leads us. See, I think we of all people sometimes try to figure out things and try to take things within our own power and control our own destiny. But the Spirit comes from God and He leads to where God wants to take us. You don't always have to be in control. Allow God to move within the Spirit according to the Holy Word. He's not going to take you to a place that isn't good. He might take you to a place that's uncomfortable. But he's always there. For he's the one who allows the spirit to blow. And so as we begin to to trust the Holy Spirit, he reveals the word to our minds and our hearts. And he allows us, therefore, to become instruments of God, not observers He calls us to fulfill his purposes. And so the more that we trust and the more that we get in step with the Spirit, the more we allow him to fill us, the more wonderful life becomes. Again, if you are so down, if you are getting depressed because there's a new political government in power, then you've missed, you've missed the blowing of God. There is no earthly power that God doesn't laugh at. Why worry? Guys, put up your sails. Enjoy the ride. God gives to us the opportunity to live and to live life to the full. Don't be prisoners. And don't try to control it. Let God move you. And as he moves us, then we give him praise for the seal of the Holy Spirit. That's the ending of these verses. Look at verse 14. The Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, it's using a word of a seal or a guarantee here. And it means different things. But a seal uh, had three very specific things. One was to authenticate. So if you think about the old days, they would have a a paper and it was written and then the person would have a wax 
that he would take and he would put the wax over the seal of the letter. And then he had a specific seal, whether it's for the governor, whether it's for that family or whatever. And then that family or that person would put their seal into the wax. And it was to authenticate of saying, this is from me. And so not only is it to authenticate, but it was also to mark property. See, we are God's possession. And as such, we are marked. Think about this, like just like uh, people who brand the cattle. Why did you brand the cattle? Because you wanted to tell everybody else, this is mine. It's not yours, it's mine. How do we know? Look at its backside. That's my branding, not your branding. So you go away and I'll keep mine. We are God's possession. Listen to what Romans 8.16 has to say. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How do you know you're a Christian? If you're asking the question, am I pleasing? Am I a Christian? Then I would venture to say you're a Christian. Because if you're not, you don't care. And the Spirit bears that witness to us with the Holy Spirit who places his seal upon us. He's saying to us, you are marked as God's property. So we're authenticated, we're marked as his property, but we're also made to to be secure in who he is. See, when they put the marking on the letter, it was to say, if this seal is opened, then it means somebody's gotten to the letter. It's if I send um, something that's important, what do I do? I put it in an envelope and I like the ones that seal by themselves. I don't like licking the envelopes. So I put that seal on it, but then I don't stop there. Then I take out my tape dispenser and I put tape all across the seal and I don't stop there. Then I write across the tape. So the person, when they get it, They've got to take a a, a serious knife to open the letter that I've sent to them. But they know without a shadow of doubt that it has been sealed and not opened. So there is a security that comes. And that's what God is saying. The Holy Spirit is securing you. If you are a Christian, you cannot fall away. You are secure. God is faithful. He's been faithful to the people in the past. He's faithful now. He will be faithful to you in the future. So it doesn't matter the situation you come into contact with. It doesn't matter how hard the trials and tribulations. We have what Jim has already read for us. We get to go to the new heavens and the new earth. And he becomes our God and we get to be his people forever. And we don't mess it up anymore. And he's saying the Holy Spirit is that deposit. It's a surety. And it gives us security as that payment. It's a deposit. It's like the deposit on a house. I'm buying this house and to make sure that you understand that I'm really going to buy it, I'm going to give you a deposit. God's saying, I'm really going to take you home. I'm really going to make you my bride. I really am going to allow you to be in my presence for all times. And you know why? Because I've given you the Spirit. And the Spirit is already leading you in truth, in knowledge, and grace. You're already falling deeper in love with me. So you're still going to continue to fall in love with me. 
And so it guarantees our inheritance. And he doesn't just give us, listen, he doesn't give us a thing. He doesn't give us a right. He gives to us the Holy Spirit, a person. And that's an incredible gift that we have been given the Holy Spirit. And when we have the Holy Spirit, he allows us then to do what we're created to do, to glorify God. Because again, the Spirit doesn't do anything outside of what the Scripture tells him. He only does what the Father and the Son allow him to do, which is to come and to teach us truth and to give glory unto the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, it's God's plan from beginning to end. Always has been, always will be. And so the Apostle Paul tells us, praise him. Praise him. Praise the giver and not the gift. Praise the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, it is my desire that we would get it, that we come here for an audience of one. That we don't come here for the style of music. We don't come here to hear great or poor preaching or to rate it. Lord, we don't come here to say whether this was good or not. Lord, we come to worship you because you're worthy to be praised. And Father, I do pray that it comes from the depths of our hearts and our minds. That Lord, if no one else was here, would I still praise you with everything that I am? But then Father, in your faithfulness, you give to us a church, a family. It's not perfect. It's still sinful but it's our family. And so, Father, allow us to be grace and mercy and peace to one another, knowing because we've been blessed, all of us blessed, not because of what we've done, but because of who you are. So, Father, as you lead us into this time where we get to come to your table Or may we come humbled, but with a desire that as we have a physical encounter with the bread and the juice that we are reminded and we look forward to the day where we get to do it with you in your kingdom forevermore. So Father, thank you. Thank you for your mercy and grace. May they be new every morning. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.